Well, good morning again. How are you? All right. Well, I'm glad that you're doing great because I'm about to preach. So it's only downhill from here, baby. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, hey, will you do me a favor in just celebrating our first time guests today? Come on. Put our hands together. Goodness. There's a good crew of you today. Online, if you're watching for the first time, we're so glad that you're with us as well. Hey, if I didn't or our guest services didn't get to give you a gift yet, please make sure on your way out you can just stop by Next Steps table and be like, yo, first timer, pastor said I get a gift. So we got a great gift for you just to thank you for spending some time with us and visiting with us today. But uh, man, just so grateful to have you here. I want to highlight just a couple announcements. Typically don't do this um, at the beginning of a message. I do want to highlight a couple things for you. Inside of your worship guide, every week we've got a piece of paper that has your sermon notes and places for you to write if you're interested. Well, on the back of that, we have some things we'd love to make you aware of. So if it is your first time or you're new to Hillside, we've got some connection points and we've got a couple exciting ones coming up. So We've been in a summer season, right? And so we push pause to our small groups, but our small group, our group community life is getting ready to get going again. And so in a couple weeks, you're going to be able to sign up a small group and uh, for a small group, excuse me, and it's going to be a great, great time for you to connect. That's one of the ways we build community. It's one of the ways we disciple and be encouraging and pray for one another is not only just on a Sunday morning, of course, but especially in our groups. And so I want to just give a little shout out to our groups. Also, I want to give a little shout out to our young adults, somebody, all right? They have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all didn't even know why we're clapping, but that's good, that's good. Here's why. All right, on Saturday, August 28th at 5.30, they're going to have a movie night right here. Listen, key phrase, young adults. I see some of y'all just heard movie and Excited about that for our young adults. So I want to encourage you, if you're interested in that, you can stop by Next Steps table and they'll get you connected with some of the young adults team who are putting that on and it's going to be a great time. All right, now for today's message. Today we are in between series. We're coming out of Life on Mission, which was a series myself and and Josh did a tremendous message as well we preach to um, help your perspective, help our perspectives as followers of Christ. Life on Mission was about equipping you with the mindset that you are in full-time ministry. You really are. It's not about the platform. It's not about the stage. It's not about the person with the mic, right, or the funniest or the most gifted. No, each of us is called by God to participate in the Great Commission with our giftings, with our personalities, with our wiring. We don't have to strive to be somebody else. We can just, in our own skin, how God wired us, reach the world around us. Well, we're headed into a series i got to tell you I'm very, very excited about. Like, I know you're looking at me. Aren't you excited with every series? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Fair play. Good point. But I'm especially excited with our Jesus stories series beginning next week. We are going to be hearing from four individuals, couples in the church about how Jesus has touched and transformed their life. We're also going to look at Jesus in the gospel 
And so in those first four books of the Bible, how he ministered, how he cared, how he healed, how he did great things. And so the spotlight's going to be really on the life of Jesus, and I believe it's going to encourage you. And here's the big thing. I think it's going to breathe hope to your soul. So that begins next week. So now you're like, what are we doing today? We're done. See ya. (laughs) Today, we are going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about the subject of prayer, and in particular, I've got one verse, one line. I timed myself, legitimately timed myself, on this prayer, and it's eight seconds. So you're thinking it's going to be a fast message. No, you're wrong. But I wish, I wish. We're going to try to keep it. we got Kona Ice coming, so when that starts beeping, I'll end, okay? But um, we're talking about prayer, and here's why. As a church, part, not my only vision for your life, but part of my vision for your life as a pastor is that you would learn to pray well. I haven't always prayed well. I've prayed, but it's taken a season of life to learn how to pray well. And we've been equipping you these last couple weeks and last couple Sundays. Good news is, if it is your first time, welcome to seven days of prayer, right? We've been in 21 days, but guess what? We only got seven days left, so it's a good day to be here. Seven days of prayer, and on your way out, we've made some available of this week's prayer. Week one, we centered around really the central prayer as followers of Jesus, the Lord's Prayer. Last week, we looked at what I consider kind of an eclectic historical prayer, but rooted in Scripture. It's called the Prayer of St. Francis. This week, we're going to look at a prayer of a king who wasn't perfect, king who made some huge Big old mistakes. In fact, we're going to read about his biggest mistake that in some ways made him famous, King David. But we're going to look at one line that came out of his prayer of repentance. And so I've got a couple characteristics before I share the line, before I share the prayer. We've got a couple characteristics. If we could bring those up, um, I believe they'll, they'll come along. But it's one line. It's eight seconds. You can say it daily and the couple two points are really to pay attention to it's better slowed down kind of like fast food you enjoy it more slowed down right and it's contemplative it's a bit of an intimidating word like who has time to contemplate i get it um But you should have time to contemplate these words. Contemplative, if you will, it's a form, it's a way of praying that is slowed down. And here's the kicker. We give it some thought as we're saying the words. So much of our Christian life, I don't know about you, but sometimes so much of my prayer life can become the dinner blessing. It's awesome. My daughters are 10 and 5, and they know our dinner blessing. They know dad's dinner blessing. Dear God, thank you for this food and this wonderful time together. Amen. That's it. It's a dinner blessing. It's quick. It's to the point. But so much of our prayer life is just quick, to the point, like God help now. That's a good place to start. It is. It is. But listen, maybe not the first Sunday, but after a season of being at Hillside, my hope is that your prayer life moves moves from God help now. 
You know, that, that's, we never want to lose that prayer. But my hope is that you will grow to be able to have a slow down, a pause season where you can really give God space to speak to your heart and especially in this prayer. So what is it? Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Short, less than eight seconds, but it will begin to transform the trajectory of your life. In fact, I've titled this message, Prayer as a Prophet. Now, you business folk, right? We think of retirement, not P-R-O-F-I-T, but... <laughs> No, like, like, come on, how many of you love those prayers? Yeah, we, we got that down. Here's what I want to talk about. Prayer as a prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Your Bible, your Old Testament is filled with writings, with sayings, with books of what we would call <clears throat> prophets. People who declared the truth of God to leaders, to the people of Israel. And here's what I know about this prayer. If you let it, it will be a prophet you need to your soul. It will be a prophet you need to your soul. It is for me what the prophet Nathan was to King David. King David, we're about to read the tragedy of King David. Two words, Bathsheba. I guess that's one word. <laughs> Bathsheba. <laughs> well, hold on. I didn't think of that till this moment, did it? All right. But Bathsheba, we're going to keep it two words in Jesus' name. So, um, 2 Samuel 11 is this chapter. If it is your first time, I love reading the Bible, I love preaching from the Bible. But rarely will I read an entire chapter. But we're going to read an entire chapter. I was telling Alex, um, our tech team director, I said, you know what? I've come to this conclusion. My summary of this story, there are too many rabbit trails. I could spend far longer than it'll take for me just to read the whole chapter. So we're going to read this whole chapter, and then we're going to spend a few moments, and we'll move on. Second Samuel 11. It'll come up on the screens for you. 2 Samuel 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, who's a leader of his army, with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers 
to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house. Wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, or go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, Haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he'll be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you finish giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerobasheth? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, also, some interesting information you may appreciate, King David, is your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had said. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us, came out, and on and on. In verse 25, David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. <laughs> Young and the restless, all up in your Bible, y'all. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like I wasn't allowed to watch 902.10. But every once in a while, when my sisters were watching, I'd sneak in and see all the drama that unfolded before me. And here we go, 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is King David. King David, if we let it, can be a mirror for your and my soul. Not that our journey in life would parallel 
this scenario with this outcome. But David's sin can be whittled down to something very, very simple. David saw, David desired, David got. He saw, he desired, he went for it. He manipulated, he pulled strings, he used his title, his power, any way he could control the situation to get the outcome he desired. All to the displeasure of God. I would propose to you, you, you'll see, there's in my Bible, there's a little space before it jumps right into chapter 12. And I think, I'm not going to add to Scripture, that's not a good idea, but I think there's so much in just that pause, David displeased the Lord. Perhaps what is most shocking is David's ignorance that he had displeased the Lord. He was clueless. He was living like, yo, this is what kings do. This is what the powerful do. This is what the human heart does. What's the big deal? I'm the king. Why is this my problem? He went about his ways to the extent, hey, Bathsheba, you're mine now. You bring, bring him into the palace. All is well. So he thought. Well, in 2 Samuel 12, which we won't read all the verses for. Do yourself a favor, you could do that this week. But in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan the prophet becomes aware of the sin that King David has committed. And he does what a prophet does. He speaks truth to power. Prophets speak on behalf of the marginalized and the poor. They speak to the power rings that we have in culture and society. And Nathan goes in, but he walks wisely. He treads wisely because he doesn't want to die. He, you know, he doesn't want to be on the wrong side. He's looking at this thinking, whoa, King David's doing that. What's he going to do after me? But he tells a tale, a hypothetical story of a man who holds some sheep on the hill and he just, you know, the, 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 the one person stole the one sheep and didn't go after others. And it just, it's just this whole tale. Basically, it's a mirror image of what David had just done. And David's, his skin is crawling. He's boiling over. And then Nathan has this line. I just love it. He looks at him and he says, you are that man. <laughs> it's like, it's like, you can't handle the truth. You know, it's like, you are that man. Like, I mean, it's what, it's what right? prophets, lawyers, I don't know. You, you know, just, just people cut to the truth. Because David's like, who would do such a thing? Who is this man? Come on, Nathan, let's go out. I'll take him down myself. And Nathan's like, here's a mirror. <laughs> it's you. You that guy. And sometimes, I'm just proposing, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to the person next to you. Sometimes in our life, there is a season, a rhythm, it may not even be sin. It just may be a direction we're going that we need a prayer that smacks us up in the face and says, create in me a pure heart. Wow, no, I'm, everything's pure. Everything, I'm pure. I'm holy. Everything's good. Wow, I need a prayer. 
pray that prayer. Who needs to pray that prayer? I'd rather pray the P-R-O-F-I-T prayer. Come on, probably God, 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 more of this, more of that, more. Sometimes we need a prayer in our day to allow the Holy Spirit to have some breathing room. To come to us like the prophet Nathan and say, Paul, Paul, talking to the mic, Paul, you are that man. And then we can say, no, no, we're not. And then we're like, oh, wait, you're right. I am. Because I know y'all don't have these thoughts. We're talking about maybe some other churches, other church members here. (laughs) Just like the preview with that. But we can be so careful and quick to judge others. And so quick to write others off. And so quick to short sell what God's doing in other people's lives. We can have all sorts, especially when we first follow Jesus, we've got all sorts of tension. We've got all sorts of maybe some cycles, some ways of thinking that we're living. And we're headed in a direction. We've been saved, but we're still headed in a direction, which let's just be honest. If we're honest, we're still in control. And we're still manipulating others. We're still conniving. We're still living in... uh, power struggle on a daily basis we're still trying to affect things and change things and and you know subtly use passive aggressive forms of manipulation keep in mind i'm not talking about y'all i'm talking about other church members and people that we need we need a prayer that can check our heart we need a prayer that can humble us the work of the holy spirit in our life. I need a prayer that can do that in my life. You know, we spend a lot of time praying for other things. We spend, and that's good. Come on, I, you may get in the question. I love doing that. I pray that for you. We, as a prayer team, pray over these needs, pray over these things, but we need what David needed because we are in a culture We're in a culture that is making billions upon billions upon billions when people think, I like it, I want it, I'm going to get it. Can be in the workplace, can be in our family, we may not even... Realize it can even be in our marriage, the subtle ways we use the silent treatment, the subtle ways we use distance, the subtle ways we use, you know, passive-aggressive behavior. All these different things can be at play under the surface of our life. Prayer changes us. Prayer transforms us. This prayer, as I shared earlier, it's a contemplative prayer. I do my best to try to pray it daily, but I don't pray it quick fire. Lord, thanks for the grub. Amen. It's not that, it's not that prayer. It's a prayer, if I can, set aside about 20 minutes. Just give myself some breathing room to slow down, to steady my heart, just to be at peace. And then I say, God, create in me a clean heart. I just try to give some room there. 
for him to begin to highlight. I don't make things up. I don't walk in a profound sense of guilt or shame. The enemy will try to use that. But I just say, Lord, I want to hear from you. Is, is, is any conversation I've had today or in the seasons gone by, will you just, will you just create in me a pure heart? Is there any sin cycle I need to... Lord, will I ever be set free from it? Can I ever be removed? You just say, create in me a clean heart. Let those words begin to wash over your inner being. Then you pivot to that second part. Renew a steadfast spirit. Your family needs a steadfast spirit. Your workplace needs more steadfast spirit. Right? You know those anomalies, right? Those steadfast spirit people? They walk into Walmart and they leave with a smile on their face. <laughs> they do. Steadfast. <laughs> They're either really holy or on something. No, I'm kidding. Okay. But I mean, <laughs> see. Lord's going to convict me about some things said in this message when I pray this thing. I am moving somewhere else. But this, this, this prayer began, began to transform. I say it hasn't, its work is not complete in case you hadn't noticed. But one of the prayers is, is Lord, I, I, I want to intentionally live pure before you. I want to intentionally Live clean. Keep in mind who wrote this prayer. Psalm 51 is not a prayer of the holy. Psalm 51 is not a prayer of the self-righteous. Psalm 51 is a prayer of brokenness before God. Its entirety, the first nine verses after and the verses 11 through the end of the chapter are nothing but a prayer. Pleading, if you will, with God for a change of direction, for a change of course. Because David, as so often can happen to each one of us, when we're in a place of God-given authority, comes the testing ground of power and influence. And David, in the testing ground of power and influence, he was a tragedy story. He manipulated, connived. He thought he was owed something, and it displeased God Almighty. And so often in our own lives, we are yearning to be in the place of authority and power. And that's fine. More influence, more power to you. That's no problem. I have no problem with that. As long as you steward it and know how to steward it wisely. Because sometimes the area we are in life, the journey we are in life, the last thing we need is more influence. Like we just need to learn to steward ourselves. For a season. But as God begins to expand, can I tell you, it's a test of power. It's a test of platform. It's a test over our soul. Will we control? Will we manipulate? I know I've been guilty of this. And David's story is a tragedy. But here's what's crazy Psalm 51 is really what the Jewish nation. And Israelites and all of us Christians, we look at King David and we love King David because 
of his heart of humility. Because King Saul and the test of power and control, it's a different scenario. But the king before him manipulated, he wanted to pull the trigger. Of course God's with us, God's with us. And I'm just going to completely ignore the previous prophet's words. And he just went ahead. And Samuel confronted King Saul, and King Saul had excuse upon excuse upon excuse upon excuse. But this time, when the, when the prophet Nathan came to King David, King David just fell, broken into the love and the mercy and the hope of God. That's what prayer can do in our lives. Prayer is available to all, but it's an urgent discipline for the desperate. The people who've arrived, the people who really don't need God in their mind, of course, they're prayerless. But you and I know better. We know that we on a daily basis are so in need of God's mercy, so in need of his goodness, so in need of his forgiveness and the hope that he offers that we continue to come before him. And having this prayer in your repertoire, I'm just putting it out there, what it begins to do is it begins to usher you into a level of relationship with God that transforms your heart into the heart of Jesus. This prayer can sustain you in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, I look at Jesus, and come on, don't you ever have this thought like, Jesus, why, why'd you go through with that? Like, sometimes I'll put myself in that scenario, and I'm like, nah, <laughs> that's uncomfortable. You're like, wow, what a great pastor. But I, th I, think, I think of Garden of Gethsemane, I think of Garden of Gethsemane, and just, man, you've got, you've got your good friend Judas. He just, he's about to sell you out. And you know, you're the only one in the room to, oh, Judas, Judas, what's wrong with Judas? And Jesus is like, oh, y'all going to find out. Judas takes off from the meal. Peter's wanting to tell Jesus how he's never going to deny him. And Jesus is just like, get behind me, Satan. Conversation's great. I mean, it's just alive. <laughs> and Jesus finds himself isolated in the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> to add insult to injury... Jesus is, meeting with Je Jesus is meeting with the Father, and he's dropping sweats of blood. I mean, it's agony and the, the turmoil of his soul. Then to add insult to injury, he turns around, he goes, and his disciples are flat, passed out asleep, snoring, I'm sure. And he's like, hey, you can't tarry with me an hour, you know? And, and yet Jesus remained steadfast. He remained standing when the culture around him was falling to the wayside. Jesus could have controlled his way out of the garden, away from Jerusalem. Why not go back to Capernaum, Jesus? You're pretty famous around there. You know, it's beautiful. You're not going to die. And Jesus you can imagine, this would have been, I'm quite sure, one of his prayers. Create in me a pure heart. Create in me a pure heart. God, I'm going to need that steadfast spirit today. I'm going to need that. Nathan the prophet came to David. First, or excuse me, 2 Samuel 12. Again, we're not going to go through it all, but it is the turning of the page. And so today, this prayer, this prayer can serve as a prophet in your life.
Since I'm on it, let me just tell you another really encouraging verse out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, it says, Who can understand the human heart? It is deceitful above all things. I knew that would go over well. You know, you know it's like, it's great. But isn't that true? Isn't that true? Oh my goodness. Who, who can understand the human heart? It is on our own accord, without the leadership of the Holy Spirit, have we not all seen people who are in a cycle of brokenness that isn't of God, but it's a cycle of the evil one. And they've just been blinded. And they continue day after day, week after week, month after month. Can I tell you, my pastor's pastor had a really good quote. All of us are one step away from stupid. Yeah, that may be worth the price of admission right there. All of us are one step away from a cycle of brokenness. This prayer daily, again, not on the fly, not fast, but it'll serve. It'll serve as Nathan did to David. Short thoughts. First, prayer makes us aware. This prayer makes us aware of God's presence. (laughs) Truth be told, I just picture Nathan knocking on door of King David's room or inner court. David says, hey, good to see you again, Nathan. But you know his mind's already like, oh, snap. What's going on? We, we're going to pray today. We're going to worship. What's the song list, Nathan? And he realizes very quickly, ooh, something's not right here. Now, here's what's interesting about prayer. My hope is you don't approach prayer. Something's not right here. My hope is that you know you serve a heavenly Father who is all love towards you, who knows your identity inside and out. He knows your weaknesses and your strengths. He loves you so much, He sent Jesus to live and teach you the ways of the kingdom. Not only to live, but to die. Not only to die, but to rise again. Not only to rise again, but to ascend to the place of authority. And that story has changed. Look around you, it's changed people's lives around you. So you don't don't approach prayer tentatively. No, you just, just get up all in there. With that snot, with that drizzle coming down your eyes. Oh God! I'm here in your presence. (laughs) I'm here in your presence. I'm here. And this prayer, in a moment, can just kind of lead you to that, but creating me a pure heart. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. My heart's good place, good state. Thank you, God. All is well. Renew, God. Renew that steadfast spirit. Just give give it some breathing room. It makes us aware of God's presence. (laughs) This isn't the goal. I'm not like, hey, come back next week, right? The goal of this is not to make you aware of sin. More than we preach sin here, we preach the love of God and the mercy of Jesus. But sin, it's a thing. And it's all up in the Bible. And David was living in it. Here's the kicker. Oblivious. Oblivious. Believe it or not, us men, you know. know, We have our wives, our mothers. Shoot, other people's mothers. They just speaking into our life all over the place. (laughs) Grandmas, grandma, people I don't even know. They just, yeah. Right? That, but <clears throat> this prayer can make us aware of sin. King David was oblivious. He had no idea he did anything wrong. There are moments in my life 
where Kelly has reassured me of my folly. <laughs> that I had no idea. I'll, I'll be talking with my daughter, or I'll use a tone with my daughter, and she's like, hey, you may have just crushed her spirit. Like, no, nah, I don't think so. I'm a pastor. I can't crush people's spirit. <laughs> All right, sorry. Come back next week. No. But there are... Now, sometimes in those kind of contexts, I am a little aware. Sometimes there's been moments I'm just totally, totally unaware. Sometimes there's just a, a, a direction or just a way. Sometimes... Um, um, True, actually, it's very rarely done it, but sometimes my thoughts can be negative. My future outlook can be a little under par. She'll just be like, hey, are you aware of your words lately? That's usually cue for, I'm not aware of my words lately. <laughs> I've learned that much. But I mean that. I mean that. Think on this. God's given us a gift in prayer. He's given us a gift through prayer. To daily, look, I don't, I don't, I don't see sin as much as, uh, I'll put it to you this way. I don't preach and we don't believe in the gospel of sin management. Right? We're not trying to behave accordingly. No, we just believe that if you fall deeper and deeper in love with God, all of that begins to take care of itself as you know how loved you are by God. Sin in the Bible before it was beat up by some denominations and mistranslated, it was very simple. It's to be misdirected. It's to miss the mark. It's quite literally to do what Jesus said, you know, narrow is the way. It's to maybe live on the broad path, what everybody else is doing. It's a misdirection. It leads to death and destruction. We don't say that with a heavy hand. We all need Right? It's the same for me as it's the same for you. And so this prayer, it brings us. David, had he continued down the path, he would have continued to live a life displeasing to God. But here's the beauty over our lives. As we pivot, as we shift, we get to be called people after God's own heart, just like David was spoken of and what was declared of his life. Third, prayer moves us in the direction of repentance. I believe in a quick repentance. I believe in getting with the Lord. I love 2 Samuel 12, 13. I love David's response. I've sinned against the Lord. Sometimes, I'm just like in my, in my prayer time with the Lord, I'm like, hmm, I've sinned against the Lord. And then I move on to four really fast. I'm aware of the generous mercy of God. 2 Samuel 12, 13. Maybe you need to hear God whisper over your life today. The Lord has taken away your sin. The Lord has taken away your sin. Each Sunday, we don't ask Jesus to get back up on the cross. We believe, as Hebrews declared, that once and for all, in that moment, all of the world's sin was absorbed. It coalesced. I know it's a fun word. It coalesced. And it was into Christ. But sin could not defeat your Savior. He broke sins back, so to speak, on the cross. And he rose again. And you and I participate in that rising again. And we become aware of the generous mercy of God. Aware of the generous mercy of God. I love uh, a pastor. Um, 
little, little older now, but he used to say he loves being with God because he's found nobody as joyful as the Holy Spirit. Amen. I agree with that. I agree with that. I love to say, it happens to me, I love to say the Holy Spirit's the only person who can hug you and simultaneously kind of slap you on the side of your face. Like, come on, come on, man, get with it. Get with it. Like, like if we were to interview God in this moment over my life, I'm not Pastor Paul. He's patient, Paul. Like God saying, I've got to be really patient with Paul. I mean, can I tell you, God is so patient. God is so loving. Listen, for some of you, I just, can I just... Can I just have a minute? Can I just have a minute? Let me speak to you that aren't following God right now. Let me, can I just say something? It's okay. It's okay. God loves you. God loves you. Here's what I want to say. As you think about the trajectory of your life, which is important to do, you may not even believe in God or want much to do with Him, but let me just say this. Statistics have shown through surveys 80% of this population in America thinks about eternity twice a day. Twice a day as they're driving, and I know you've had those thoughts. But you may have been in a church, you may have been in a culture a long time ago, and it was spoken of your life, you will never measure up. You will never be good enough. You're nothing but a sinner. Can I share some God thoughts with you? You are loved before the foundations of this earth. That God saw the family you'd be born into. He saw the difficulties. He saw the disappointments. He didn't bat an eye. He has nothing but love towards you. You ask, well, where was he? Why wasn't he there? The truth is, he was there. I believe he was there. And he's weeping for the pain you went through, the difficulty you went through. Quit judging yourself for what others put you through. But let me also share, you have a choice. You can't keep passing blame onto other people. You have to give yourself some thought, give yourself some reflection, and say, now that I know God loves me, now that I know that he is for me and not against me, now that I know the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins, now that I know my past does not have to define me no matter what, I am set free and God can save me. I lovingly ask you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Invite heaven into your midst now. Today, this week, it can all change. As you draw close to God, know His love and His desire for you. That's why a message like this, I'm not intimidated. Because sin, come on, you know, we all, man, everybody's always, yeah, you're such a you sin, 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 sin. No, it's not sin sometimes in the way we think it is, like God's keeping a record. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. God's not sitting up there. Man, you, I remember in youth group, there was this awesome drama. The guy would come out and he was like, acting how he's pulling out all these files and all it was was our sin. I was like, oh, Jesus, I'm coming running, baby. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, oh, look at my friends. Like, why, why aren't you coming with me? I know you ain't perfect. I'd start calling people out from the altar. No, but I just, I used to be, but can I tell you, it just got jabbed in my thinking. Well, God's a policeman. He's got all my violations. I hope he changes when I get to heaven. 
And then I started reading about Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus he kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Because he wasn't hanging with the Pharisees, the preachers, the Sadducees. He was. He was lovingly calling them. But he was spending time with people who had the thinking that God's just keeping nothing but a list of your wrongs. Nothing could be further from the truth. God sees our sin. He knows the direction of our life. He sees our hearts. If we have not surrendered to Christ, don't misread me. I'm not saying, hey, go about your way. No, 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 no. He sees the state of our heart. And He lovingly, longingly calls us as a good father to come on home. Come on back. Quit running. Let go of the sin. Let go of the past. Embrace the Jesus way. And embrace the mercy of the cross that declares victory over your sin, over your shame. Come home. Let's pray. If that's you, come home. Say this with me. God, I need you. God, I need your mercy. Father, I repent of my sin, the ways I've been living. I've lived apart from you. I've lived distant from you. Forgive me, God. Wash me clean by the blood of Jesus. Father, thank you that you love me so much. That you have a future, as your prophet declared in Jeremiah, that is good. And it's for my welfare. Father, I'm coming home now and I give my life to you. Jesus, I need you as Savior and King. I believe in your mercy, God. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Let me pray for all of us. God, I thank you for your great love. I thank you, Lord, for strengthening us that we might walk in your ways and show your ways to the world around us. Create in us a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within each of us. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.